On this week's MMA and Wrestling Edition of My Take Radio, we break down UFC Fight Night 103, plus the latest and greatest happenings in the world of MMA. On the wrestling side, of course, we're going to jump into WWE Raw, SmackDown, 205 Live, and of course, the UK Title Championship Tournament, plus this week's wrestling news, including some Hall of Fame inductions, uh, the passing of Jimmy Superfly Snuka, and so much more. My Take Radio starts right now. This coverage is live and uncensored, so if you have any small children present, you may want to have them leave the room. My Take Radio, episode 388, powered by Rageworks. What's going on, guys? I'm your host, Rich. And if this is your first time tuning in to My Take Radio, whether you have listened to it live once or downloading it for the first time, My Take Radio is a variety podcast covering mixed martial arts, professional wrestling, gaming, and entertainment. As always, you can find My Take Radio on the Rageworks Network, on iTunes, Stitcher, and TuneIn Radio, as well as on rageworks.net we also have a video version of this episode on our youtube channel as well all right so things are a bit different this time around as many of you know my take radio recently wrapped uh its tenure of live broadcast for the last i want to say two years uh for those of you that missed the previous announcements for it it's primarily just because of timing and you know wanting to try and be more productive and more um, you know, just more, more developed with my time, I think is a good way to look at it. Uh, the main reason I feel is because we have, um, you know, we've really done quite a bit as of late in terms of just getting out live content each and every week, twice a week. And there's a lot that goes into it from editing audio, editing video, all the social stuff. And I feel that in doing so much of that, a lot of the stuff that we were doing for Rageworks has fallen by the wayside and suffered a little bit. Uh, just because we're trying to get the live product out. Now, as I've said on previous episodes, we haven't uh, totally disregarded a live component for the show, but I think we're going to save it for special shows and milestone shows. Right now, of course, uh, we are quickly approaching episode 400. Of course, this episode being 388. Uh, we've already made plans to do a live broadcast of episode 400, primarily because there's you know so much that we want to share with you guys. And it's a big milestone. I mean, we've been doing MTR since 2006. And, um, you know, we went to live in 2009. Then we launched video around episode 200, I would like to say. I, You know, my brain gets a little fuzzy with this stuff. So, you know, like with everything else, the product evolves, the programming changes. But our desire to give you guys kick-ass content remains. So with that, uh, 
you know, as I mentioned at the top of the intro for this episode, you know, we got a lot on deck MMA and wrestling wise. So let's not waste any more time. This wraps it up for housekeeping. Let us jump into this week's MMA, shall we? All right, so let's get this party started with UFC Fight Night 103, which aired on Fox Sports 1 this past weekend. Main event saw Yair Rodriguez taking on the returning prodigy, BJ Penn. Also on that card, Joe Lazan taking on Marcin Held, Court McGee taking on Ben Saunders, and John Moraga opened things up taking on Sergio Pettis. Now, overall, I felt it was a solid card as I, as I usually do. You know, rather than recap every fight, I want to just try and go through um, you know, just the fights that stuck out for me, the fights that I really thoroughly, thoroughly enjoyed. And I got to say, I was very, very surprised by the card. I, I was really impressed with the Frankie signs, Augusto Mendez match. I really thought that was a match that Frankie signs really, um, was going to run away with not because Augusto Mendez was bad by any stretch, but just because Frankie signs has been on a, on a, a bit of a, you know, he, he's, he's been a highly touted MMA prospect and you know he's a guy that you really want to keep your eye out in the bantamweight division I thought that the fight was very good uh Augusto Mendez took the victory via split decision but the fight genuinely could have gone either way there were moments when Frankie Zions looked really good and then Augusto Mendez had his moments where he really stood out in the fight but overall definitely one of the more entertaining fights of the evening I thoroughly enjoyed it now the John Moraga Sergio Pettis fight was the opener on the flyweight side for the main card. And I really thought that it was a good performance by Sergio Pettis. He took the victory via unanimous decision. Um, I didn't think that you, a unanimous decision was in the cards only because John Moraga, you know, ranked number eight in the division is no pushover. The guy definitely knows how to push the pace. And Sergio Pettis, uh, another guy, you know, obviously being the brother of Showtime Pettis, there's a, a lot of, a lot of expectation from him. And I know that he, that he's had moments of, you know, highs and lows in terms of performances, but I felt that this performance really showed that he's starting to mature as a fighter, you know, currently ranked 15th in the division, defeating the number eight guy definitely will move your stock up quite a bit in the rankings. Now, Sergio Pettis is a guy that, like I said, he just needs to chain a couple of wins together before people start talking about him in any sort of title picture. But nonetheless, it was refreshing to see him more or less comfortable in that performance. I mean, don't get me wrong. John Moraga is tough, took the fight on short notice, but you can see that Sergio Pettis' skill set is improving and he's going to be a, an athlete to keep an eye on in future uh, UFC events. Definitely very, very impressed with his performance. On the welterweight side of things, we saw the return of Ben Saunders once again. I feel like he is the, uh, the quintessential journeyman of MMA. He's gone to Bellator. He's fought all over the place back in the UFC, taking on a very, very dangerous Court McGee. I've been a fan of Ben Saunders going back to the days of, of him on The Ultimate Fighter. He he just always came off as a very likable uh, individual. Every place he's gone, he's delivered great fights. He pulls off some amazing submissions, and his striking game is pretty solid. I was actually very excited for this fight. Like I said, Court McGee is no slouch. The guy definitely can go out there 
and do some major damage in his fights. But it was good to see Ben Saunders back in there. I was like I said, I've been a fan of his for quite some time. And he ended up securing the victory via unanimous decision. Um, you know, I think it was it was a hard fought fight. I think McGee looked um, really good, especially in that second round. Uh, the first round you could have you could have gone either way with that, but definitely the second round McGee looked really good. And I gotta say, McGee looked solid in the third round. But again, this is one of those situations where you don't leave it in the hands of the judges. There was. Um, especially in the third, there was a couple of, of instances where Ben Saunders looked in trouble. Like I said, as a fan of the guy, I'm, I'm happy to see him win, but I got to say that there were plenty of instances where he looked like he was definitely in some danger. Nonetheless, um, a solid performance by Saunders, but I felt that McGee kind of got rubbed, uh, rubbed, <laughs> robbed by the judges. And, um, we'll see what happens. Like I said, I'm, I'm happy to see Saunders back in the cage and um we'll see where he goes from there. Now Joe Lazan, Marcin Held, Marcin Held is a really really solid prospect. Uh fought in Bellator, uh came in with a with a 22 and 5 record taking on Joe Lazan, the master of the fight bonus. I mean Joe Lazan, the beauty of of Joe Lazan is he can go out there and have a bloodbath with you on you know on the feet, on the ground. The guy is just one of the most well-rounded guys in the UFC. And a guy that really has been a staple in the lightweight division. I would, it would be a disservice to call Joe Lazan a gatekeeper because he really isn't. I mean, this is a guy that can go in there and he can tap you out in, in the blink of an eye if you give him a chance. I felt that his performance against Marcin Held was tremendous. And the fight, you know, Joe Lazan took the fight via split decision. And, you know, some people felt that Marcin Held, especially in the second and third rounds, looked a lot better he definitely was the was the um the winner in a lot of the exchanges against joe lazan but nonetheless again you know going back to the saunders mcgee fight you can't leave it in the hands of the judges i like marcin held this is definitely not um a performance that you have to weigh against your opinion of him as a fighter i think he did fair you know very well and joe lazan is just a crafty veteran i mean like you know the fight itself was tremendously solid and i thoroughly enjoyed it but i'm just happy to see marcin held in the ufc i think he's going to definitely be uh, a guy to keep an eye on in the lightweight division that's for sure now of course main event time yara rodriguez ranked number 10 at featherweight taking on the prodigy bj penn now i have a lot of problems with this with this fight and it's not even you know my opinions on yara rodriguez i'll get to that in a moment uh, I just, I feel BJ Penn, he retired and, you know, he was going to come back. Then he had some legal problems. Then those cleared up. Then, you know, <clears throat> excuse me, all signs pointed to his return to the cage. And I think that in that regard, you know, BJ Penn is, is, is a bona fide hall of famer, but I, there's a time and a place to, you know, take stock of your career and kind of realize that maybe this isn't for you. And it's not even because BJ Penn has lost a step. I just feel that in terms of how the sport has evolved and where BJ Penn falls into that evolution, I feel that that the sport, you know, the fighters are more well-rounded, more complete. And BJ Penn's natural ability, I've always felt, was hampered by his, not his lackluster work ethic, but just the fact that he's very, very dependent on his quote-unquote natural ability, which 
to a point just derails him needing to do things. It almost reminds me of, you know, Allen Iverson saying practice, you know, I, I don't need practice. And it was, it was, it's funny only because in the case of BJ Penn, the guy is such a, such an amazing athlete, so well-rounded, but you, you have to fine tune your craft and you have to evolve. And I just feel that BJ Penn, you know, kind of chilling in Hilo, Hawaii and, you know, swimming in the pool and kind of just taking it easy. You know, we're, we're getting guys that are coming in that are hungrier, that want, that understand that a window of success is finite and they're ready to stake a claim. And Yair Rodriguez definitely did that. I mean, from the opening round alone, you know, Yair Rodriguez came into the fight. He had a two inch height advantage and a one inch reach advantage on BJ Penn. Of course, the age being the big factor. BJ Penn was 14 years older than Yair Rodriguez. And let me tell you, that was definitely something that showed in this fight. Yair Rodriguez was just rock'em sock'em robots all the way through. And it was, it was vicious, vicious, uh, striking from, uh, the young featherweight putting it to the, 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 the veteran. And I gotta say, man, that, that first round, I was like, fuck, you know, if, if BJ Penn survives that round, you know, he's gonna get taken out in the second. And sure as shit, as soon as the bell rang, Rodriguez knocked Penn down with, with a right. And at that point, he just swarmed all over him. And that was it, man. I mean, you know, this was, it, it marks the first time that BJ Penn was knocked down has ever been knocked down. And then with Rodriguez just swarming on him, just punches and bunches, BJ Penn tried to defend, but he just, he just couldn't do it. And the ref saved him from taking any more damage. You know, it really was something that as an MMA fan, I genuinely have to say was incredibly painful to watch. And it was, it was, it was bad. You know, it was, it was really bad. And I said to myself, did we really, did we really want BJ Penn back? And I'm being honest. I mean, yeah, people tuned in and it was there, but, I just, I, you know, the vibe I got was that BJ Penn was in this fight for a payday more than anything else. I didn't really feel his heart was into this fight. I didn't feel that he had that momentum that made him, you know, one of the most dangerous guys in the UFC. I just felt he came in there. He did as best as he could and he, you know, he got taken out. Simple as that. But we'll see what happens where, where Yara Rodriguez goes from here. Remains to be seen. I mean, it was a stellar performance, but again, it was a stellar performance against an aging BJ Penn. That's not to take anything away from Rodriguez's performance, but like anything else, you know, we want to see him maybe fight a top five, top five guy and see how he fares. Even, you know, going, looking at the current rankings that, you know, the, that division is so stacked right now at featherweight that there's plenty of probable matches that Rodriguez could have in his future. But I, I personally feel that for the dominant performance that he had, you might want to start looking maybe at the number sixth or the number five ranked guy to send Yair Rodriguez's way. Overall, I felt that the UFC fight night card was solid. There were a lot of solid moments. I mean, you know, they handed out $50,000 bonuses and uh, Yair Rodriguez took one. Uh, Alexi Oleni took the other one and Augusto Mendez, Frankie Zines got fight of the night, which is well-deserved, but overall, it was a great free TV card, nothing to complain about, but I think for, for the Prodigy, this really, in my opinion, should be it, and it's disheartening to say that because you want to see the veterans go out with a win, but the fact that he was taking so much punishment in that fight was was tremendous. You know, he really took a lot of damage in that fight, especially in that early first round. We'll see what happens. I mean, 
they might let him fight once more, but at this point, it's like, who does he fight? Who do you give him? Because, you know, BJ Penn, you know, he, I, I believe he was unranked at the time. You know, don't quote me on that. I can always check and I'll, you know, correct, correct that next week. But, um, what, where does he go? Because it's like the guy's fighting at featherweight. You know, he came in on weight. He did what he had to do, but the guy, the guy, you know, was 14 years older than Yair Rodriguez going into this fight. And the fighters are all young, you know, crafty guys that have been in the sport for quite some time. I'm curious to see what you do because I mean, he, he could just as easily go up to, to lightweight, maybe to 155. There's a couple of decent fights you could give him at 155. I mean, some people, it was interesting. A couple of people were saying, oh, you know, I mean, he did use the fight at 170. Eh, 170, that's the problem. It's not like it was five, 10 years ago where you kind of had the top five guys and then an interchangeable mix from six to 10. Now, even the, the guys in that top 10 are just completely dangerous and all they need is to chain together one or two victories to get themselves in contention. It's a, it's very, very deep water at featherweight lightweight it's it, it's crazy it really is so where does bj penn fall in the mix i couldn't tell you but we'll definitely be watching with much interest going forward that's for damn sure now let's get into the mma news of the week because there are a couple of things i want to break down with you guys uh the first one is that they're putting together ufc fight night 105 that has some solid fights uh including the return of carla esparza taking on ronda marcos uh, that fight card goes down February 19th and it's going to be in Halifax, Nova, <coughs> Halifax, Nova Scotia, Canada. Let me get that right. Of course, it's going to air on Fox Sports 1. Prelims will be on UFC Fight Pass. On that card, you got Junior Dos Santos taking on Stefan Struve. You got, um, like I said, Carlos Barza, Ronda Marcos. You also got Elias Diodoro on that card and, uh, Nordin Taleb taking on Santiago Ponzinibbio. I'm going to, I probably bludgeon that poor person's name, but um, overall, I think that that card probably is going to get a handful of more uh, Canadian fighters on it just to, to boost it up. But I am curious to see how Carlos Barr's affairs against Ronda Marcos. Uh, both ladies were on the ultimate fighter and um, you know, Carlos Barr's a, hey, she has a long road back. I mean, I mean, she went from being at the top of the food chain as champ to, possibly being on the prelims for this card. We'll see what happens. But again, UFC Fight Night 105 goes down February 19th. Now, we got some new updates in the Floyd Mayweather, Conor McGregor saga, which continues to evolve and get crazy each and every week. As I mentioned last week, um, you know, there was a lot of back and forth. Dana White talking about putting money down, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. So Floyd Mayweather did an interview recently with ESPN First Take talking about that he offered Conor McGregor $15 million for a potential fight. He said, um, you know, McGregor demanding $100 million for the fight with, with a $15 million offer. You know, um, let me rephrase that. Floyd Mayweather said he offered him $15 million and obviously a cut of the pay-per-view. And it was funny because he said something that made a lot of sense. He said, my number is a guaranteed $100 million. That is my number. We're willing to give him 15 million. Then we can talk about splitting the percentage, the back end on pay-per-view. But of course, we're the A side. How can a guy talk about making 20 or 30 million if he has never made eight or nine million in a fight? Very, very, you know, interesting words from the Floyd Mayweather camp. I mean, you know, 
Floyd Mayweather is a businessman. The guy, every time he fights, everyone tunes in. The amount of revenue at stake with him and Conor McGregor boxing, whether it's under, you know, a pay-per-view outlet, you know, whether it's HBO or Showtime or whoever, or under the UFC umbrella, the fact remains that this fight is a win-win for everyone. Now, I understand in, in the case of Floyd Mayweather, he has, and people may disagree, he has a lot to lose because think about it. You're coming in, you're putting your legacy on the line and just your a bit, your your reputation to take on an MMA fighter because everyone wants to see it. Now, let's say, and again, let's let's say hypothetically, Conor McGregor beats Floyd Mayweather. You know, you just that that just ends up damaging Floyd Mayweather's reputation, you know, the aura that he is, that he has. And I think that as as a fan of MMA and as someone who respects the sport of boxing, you know, everyone wants to see this fight and blah, blah, blah. But do we really let's not kid ourselves. Do we really want to see this fight? Yes. On, on paper. Yeah. It's like, oh, you know, it would be cool to see. But I'm being honest. Do we really need to see that? In all honesty, I got to say that it, it can hurt either guy. It, it, it genuinely can, because, again, if Mayweather loses, which is a stretch, it's going to damage his credibility. And it's essentially you got beat up. You lost to to a mixed martial artist who came into your house and whooped your ass. In the case of Conor McGregor, it's like, oh, you know, you talked all this shit. And Floyd Mayweather, Floyd Mayweather came in here and dismantled you. Now, again, the general consensus expects that to be the case. But still, why, why put, why damage your marquee fighter if you're the UFC? And again, this constant back and forth, you know, is boxing better? Is Mayweather better than this person? Can Mayweather beat that person? Leave the guy alone. I'm being serious. If you're really, if, if you really want to do something, then make a genuine offer, which leads me to the next part of this story where Dana White tossed out an offer when he appeared on on the herd. And he said that, you know, Mayweather's claim that he offered 15 million of his to his hundred million for a boxing match wasn't true. And that Dana White went as far as to say that he would be willing to pay 25 million to each of them. And I'll give you Dana White's quote. I'll tell you what Floyd White said. Here's the real offer. I'm the guy that can make the offer, and I'm actually making a real offer. We'll pay you $25 million. We'll pay Connor $25 million. Then we'll talk about pay-per-view at a certain number. That's a real offer. White ended up you know, elaborating further, saying that Mayweather did not, as he claimed, try to make the fight with McGregor and denied that McGregor never made more than 8 or $9 million for a night's worth of fighting. He said of Mayweather, to think that you're on the A side, how are you the A side? The last major fight you were in, you left such a bad taste in everybody's mouth. Nobody wants to see you again. Dana White went on to say that his last fight did 350,000 pay-per-view buys. Connor's last two fights, Connor did 1.3 and 1.5 million buys. So I don't understand how you think you're the A side. There's a reason you want this Connor fight so bad because you know that's your money fight. If they're going to box, Floyd looks at this thing like an easy boxing match, but McGregor is his money fight. When Mayweather was asked about Dana White's comments, he pretty much laughed and called Dana White a comedian and didn't even bother to comment any further. This story gets crazier and crazier and crazier every time that we talk about it. Because, like I said, it's just it's just so insane. You know, 
Mayweather, we're talking about a guy that makes millions upon millions upon millions upon millions of dollars willing to put his legacy on the line against, you know, the UFC's top guy because why? He said that he can beat you. I'm being honest. If every fighter took a fight because he said somebody from another sport could beat him, we'd be seeing freak show fights all the time. Like I said, I feel that there's there's a there's merit in seeing this fight, but there's a big, big, big pendulum that can swing either way and harm either guy. But as usual, we will be watching this story closely and we will get into it during, you know, the coming weeks and as more develops. And of course, if anything huge breaks, keep it locked to RageWorks.net and we will share it with you guys. On the Cain Velasquez front, he had successful back surgery January 4th, a minor surgery similar to what CM Punk had last year. And it looks like Cain should be back training in early February and probably be ready to get back in the cage in April. It's been a long road for Kane with crazy injuries that he's sustained, but you know, hope we're hopeful that this, this little setback that he's had gets him back in there and gets him back into title contention. I like Kane Velasquez. I think he's a big asset to the sport and I feel that he's been out of the cage way too long. <clears throat> All right. On another, on another big money card, UFC 209 is really starting to take shape. Uh, that goes down March 4th. And in addition to Tyron Woodley taking on Steven Wonderboy Thompson, it was announced that Khabib Nurmagomedov will be taking on Tony Ferguson. And of course, it is for an interim lightweight title because, as we all know, Conor McGregor is currently on leave. Now, this is a great fight for Khabib and for Tony Ferguson because at the end of at the end of the day, the winner fights McGregor. And if you uh, if you dethrone McGregor, it's it's a big feather in your cap. And even if you don't. It's a big payday. Now, I like Khabib. I like Tony Ferguson a bit more. And if I really had to say that I want to see, uh, you know, who I'd like to see face McGregor, I got to say I'd like it to be Khabib only because there's already so much trash talking and drama there. Don't get me wrong. Tony Ferguson can definitely talk shit and he can go in there and really and really do some damage. But I just feel that if you did a fight with McGregor and Khabib and let's say you decided to do the fight in Russia it would be a huge, huge, huge payday. But aside from that, I think that the fight itself is going to be spectacular. Both guys can go in there and do major damage. And serving as the co-main event to Wonder Boy and Tyron Woodley is definitely not a bad deal. That's for sure. The legendary Anderson Silva is in the news this week as he is scheduled to take on Derek Brunson at UFC 208 here in New York City. Uh, that event that goes down at the Barclays Center, and um, that will probably be the co-main with the main event, of course, being uh, Holly Holm taking on Jermaine Durandamy for the inaugural women's featherweight title, which, interestingly enough, looks like it's on Amanda Nunez's radar, as she has gone on record saying that she would like to challenge the winner of that fight to make a run at being the first woman in MMA history to hold two belts in two weight classes at the same time. Now, for Holly Holm, there's also an opportunity in history as if she were to emerge the victor, she would be the first female UFC fighter to hold two titles in two separate weight classes. Uh, so, I mean, in separate weight classes. So, there's definitely some really, really interesting stuff going on in the women's division of the UFC. Honestly. 
I wouldn't mind seeing Amanda Nunes make a run at history. That would be pretty dope. I mean, if McGregor can do it, why shouldn't Amanda Nunes get that opportunity? Again, UFC 208 goes down February 11th at the Barclays in Brooklyn, New York. Main card, of course, will be on pay-per-view. Prelims will be on Fox Sports 1. Now, the next bit of news, while I'm not shocked at at the individuals involved, I'm shocked that we're continuing to do uh, this particular experiment. And that, ladies and gents, is <coughs> the ultimate fighter. The UFC announced during Fight Night one, UFC Fight Night 103 that Cody Garbrandt and TJ Dillashaw will serve as coaches for this season, for which has aptly been titled Ultimate Fighter Redemption, which is, of all things, going to feature former participants from previous Ultimate Fighters. Yeah. Look, I love the Ultimate Fighter. I love what it's done for the sport. But, I mean, the formula's become such old hat. They really haven't done anything to freshen it up and liven it up. And sure, throwing Cody Garbrandt in there with TJ Dillashaw is going to lead to some fireworks. But like I always say, if the personalities of the coaches are too big, they're going to overshadow the fighters that are there trying to get an opportunity. Now, of course, both both guys, they're, they're incredibly talented. They came out of, obviously, the alpha male camp. I think they have a lot to bring to the table, but... When you're talking about doing something with previous competitors, guys that have fought in the sport, you could just as easily do a a, a tournament with former contestants, let them fight, and the winner gets a brand new UFC contract or something like that, and it could be just as compelling and just as interesting. But we're going to continue with the Ultimate Fighter formula with Cody Garbrandt and TJ Dillashaw as the coaches. Now, the two-hour premiere is scheduled for April 19th. Of course, the, the, the coaching stint, will then lead to Garbrandt and Dillashaw facing facing off at a later date in 2017. I, I it's it's just so aggravating because the ultimate fighter formula has really just kind of reached its apex and it's just hanging out, but we'll see what happens. Maybe this season won't suck, but I'm not going to hold my breath. Now, the next bit of news I was you know, I'm a little I'm a little bummed to report because I was actually a a fan of this particular fighter. Um in a recent post on Facebook, Tim Kennedy announced that he is retiring from mixed martial arts. The 37-year-old fighter leaves with a professional record of 18 wins and six losses. He was three and two in the UFC. But besides that, you know, Tim Kennedy was a huge advocate for our nation's armed forces. You know, being a member of the armed forces himself, uh, you know, it's it's a big loss. I mean, this was a guy that when it came time to you know fight for the troops, events, being an advocate for the sport. He was he was just a, an all around nice guy, and when I read his his statement on Facebook at announcing his retirement, it was a genuinely it was a sad thing to read. Not because of, of the sadness of, of of him retiring, but just you could just feel that that he understood where he was in life, and that this the sport was just no longer for him. And you know, as as somebody who, like I said, who's been a a, a Kennedy fan and appreciates his accomplishments in the sport. I wish him luck. And I'm sure that he will more than likely be involved in some capacity in MMA. Like, I, you know, doing stuff with the armed forces, uh, increasing the awareness of mixed martial arts for the armed forces community. Those are all great things. And I'm sure that we will be seeing more of Tim Kennedy in those capacities in the future. But I am, I am grateful that I had the opportunity to see him fight and really kick ass both in Strike Force and in the UFC. Now, the last bit of MMA news to close things out is 
of course, the Mark Hunt situation. As we talked about last week, Mark Hunt is suing the UFC, Dana White, Brock Lesnar, and anybody else that gets in his fucking way because he is tired of the bullshit of guys coming in with tainted with tainted results and being on the juice when he fights them, and he's he's had enough. Well, oddly enough, last week I was talking about him fighting at UFC 209 against Alistair Overeem, and I felt that that card was going to lose that fight, giving the legal situation going on between Mark Hunt and Alistair Overeem. But it looks like that fight will still go on. Mark Hunt was interviewed recently by MMA Fighting, and he said that he accepted the fight because he was put in the position, and he said, what am I supposed to do? They forced this fight on me pretty much. And, you know, he was asked about fighting Overeem, who has failed drug tests in the past, and he said, I don't make these choices. I don't ask to fight anybody. All I ask is to fight the best fighters in the world, and I'm do- and all I'm doing is what they ask. Will you fight this person? I say yes, because I'm employed with them. So when they ask, will you fight this guy? Of course, I'll fight anybody in the world. This is a very awkward situation and a very, very precarious situation for the UFC. And I say this because Mark Hunt currently is obviously suing the organization, Dana White and Brock Lesnar. And now he's fighting a guy who's ha- who's been re- you know recognized as having... Uh, issues with performance enhancing drugs in the past (coughs) now playing devil's advocate let's say he fights over him he wins and over him comes back with something positive in, in his testing results again hypothetically what then does this strengthen the u the his case against the ufc or does this just continue to show that the ufc's uh testing protocols aren't what they're all they're cracked up to be i mean it really is an awkward situation and a genuine and a genuinely unfor and a genuine unfortunate situation for Mark Hunt because again the guy the guy's been wronged by the organization I can't blame him for being upset or apprehensive about going into any fight at this juncture but on the same token it's like if the UFC doesn't want to deal with him then let let him you know close out his contract and let him go and fight elsewhere this is this is a situation where Both sides are kind of playing chicken and trying to see who blinks first. And I feel that Mark Hunt has kind of got the short end of the stick because he's most of the guys he's fought have come out positive in some capacity for performance enhancing drugs. I mean, you know, Antonio Bigfoot Silva, great example. Brock Lesnar, great example. It's just the the, the guy, the guy comes in there. He, he trains hard. He tests clean. It is what it is. I mean, you know, I'm excited to see him fight over him just because it's a cool fight. But the fact that there is this big specter of legal litigation hanging over the card just just doesn't help. It really does not help matters, that's for sure. But we shall see what happens. All right, that bit of news is going to wrap up this week's MMA segment. Let us switch gears because we got lots of wrestling to discuss, including Raw, SmackDown, the UK Championship Tournament, and of course, 205 Live. So let's get right to it, shall we? Yes, sir, we promised you a great main event here tonight. Look at that here. Andre, the giant muscle radio. Everyone has a price. Rest. All right, let's get that ball rolling with the UK Championship Tournament, which took place over the two days this past weekend, Saturday night and Sunday. 
And I got to say, the matches were spectacular. We got to see an incredible showcase of different wrestling styles, and we got to see some of the best of the best that the UK has to offer. In addition to that, we got to see, you know, the what I like to call the ascension of Pete Dunne, uh, Tyler Bate, and, and you know, his his performance uh, being the young standout that he is. And um, I like I like everything that was done. I like the way that it was presented. And I love the fact that we got to see just some some great aggression, a lot of buildup and just a lot of really, really, really spectacular wrestling. It was good to see Mark Andrews, formerly Mandrews and TNA go in there and um, really deliver some spectacular wrestling. I, I was a fan of all of these characters. I was um, I was digging Trent Seven. I thought Trent Seven had a really cool vibe. Um, you know, I thought his match with Wolfgang was really good. And again, these are a lot of guys that you want to keep an eye on because again, just because they were in the UK championship tournament doesn't mean WWE may not, may not be scouting them for NXT, which, you know, that's, that's definitely something to keep an eye on. Like I said, Pete Dunn was, was definitely a guy that was a star Tyler Bate, um, you know, who ended up winning the uh the whole thing was was just tremendous they really went out there and delivered not only a spectacular match but a match that put both of these guys on everyone's radar i think this is one of those situations where you realize how amazing the wwe network is and how much we were benefiting from it as wrestling fans you know years ago when we were learning about other promotions we had you know we had to do tape trading watching you know lucha libre on spanish language tv then later on dvd compilations then illegal torrents etc 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 now you know we have things like new japan on access tv new japan pro wrestling selling online streaming you know packages for people to part to utilize ring of honor on television tna or impact wrestling however you want to brand them this particular week which we'll get into later on are just another of of those big things that you really want to appreciate as a wrestling fan. Now, don't misunderstand. As someone who covers professional wrestling on air and on the site, I can understand all the different, you know, all the different nuances associated with the access that we have to this much wrestling. Obviously, it opens up a lot more criticism. It open it makes people more jaded sometimes because they have certain expectations that they expect mainstream promotions to have that some of the smaller promotions they really deliver on without even trying. I mean, I always look at every particular brand of wrestling as its own unique entity. And yes, while I would love to see certain superstars and certain techniques and certain things carry over into, you know, let's say WWE's programming, I also appreciate the fact that companies like Lucha Underground have just their own presentation, their own motif, their own style that sets them apart. And yes, you know, some people may get turned off from the more cinematic appearance that Lucha Underground brings to the table. But again, it's in its own, it, it, its own universe. The same thing can be said for a company like Ring of Honor. Ring of Honor thrives on the more intimate settings, the, you know, the, the really decent storytelling, but also the opportunity to just showcase some of the best of the best in a, in a more intimate setting. I feel that's where Ring of Honor shines head and shoulders above everyone else. And I think that's something that, that has made NXT very successful, just capturing that same thing, that same energy that makes, you know, Ring of Honor amazing. I think that the NXT arena, the NXT crowd 
are tremendous and they're a big part of why NXT is just such a such a spectacle to watch. And then when you see NXT in these big venues, you can appreciate it that much more because then you take something that's small and special and you put it in front of a grander stage and you just have more people appreciating it. Now with this UK championship tournament, like I said last week, it not only opens the floodgates for people to get acquainted with UK wrestling, but it also offers the WWE network additional programming and it also you know, solidifies WWE as more than just the mainstream brand, but also a brand that is willing to go and embrace these other territories and showcase that territory stars. I think keeping an eye on this is going to be very, very, uh, very important because I think that the success of this UK tournament is going to resonate not only with how WWE is perceived around the world, but also about the opportunities that other individuals have that wrestle for other companies you know they may need to get into one of these tournaments to get uh you know to get somebody to look at their work who knows i mean right now obviously with the uk tournament out of the way all signs point to the rumored women's tournament which i'll discuss later on but i really felt wwe did a tremendous job especially over the two days and not only was it spectacular from start to finish but the matches were out of this world so please do yourselves a favor if you did not check it out, go on the network and check it out because it was it was fucking solid, really solid. Now, let's move into this week's programming, Raw, SmackDown, and I'm going to get into 205 Live. Uh, you know, Raw was interesting. You know, it opened up with the um, with the MLK package, you know, which is always something that I feel WWE does. It's very classy. They do a good job with it. They also showed... Um, in memory of Jimmy Superfly Snooka graphic, which I want to get into that because an interesting conversation occurred in the Rageworks group about the passing of Jimmy Superfly Snooka, and we'll talk more about that in a moment. But overall, Raw Raw was okay. I kind of felt that, you know, I know we're building towards the Rumble, and they're doing a lot. Obviously, we got the Brock Lesnar appearance, which, um, you know, it was it was, it was was good. You know, I felt Brock Lesnar coming in, teasing the the face-to-face with Braun Strowman. The crowd was red hot for that segment. A lot of fun. And um, they really they really did a good job just driving the point home. I really liked, you know, Sami Zayn kind of getting an opportunity to go in there and mix it up. But overall, I just felt Raw was pretty flat. I mean, Enzo and Kaz, now that Enzo was cleared to wrestle, took on Rusev and Jinder Mahal in a match, which was okay, but there was definitely a lot of not botches, but just a lot of sloppy, sloppy wrestling. I, you know, I like Enzo and Kaz, but I just feel that right now they're they're kind of spinning their wheels. And Rusev is a guy that you should be building up as your next title contender, whether it's for the mid card or for the main title. You really need to be doing more with his character. There's so much more there. On top of the fact that you're seeing this guy weekly on Total Divas, you should be doing more with him now. You know, Arya Davari and Lince Dorado, it didn't it didn't even get off to I, I don't want to say it got off to to a solid start. I just felt that, you know, Lince Dorado was sacrificed for the sake of getting Davari's um Cobra Clutch submission over. Which is fine. You know, I, I don't you know, Arya Davari, I, I get what they're doing. They're really going they're going ham with making him this big heel. But the problem is that while he is a, a solid heel, you know, being a foil for Jack Gallagher is great. 
But when you're dealing with a guy like Neville that's coming out there and he's just being so overly brutal, it kind of takes a bit of shine away from Arya Davari. I Like I said, I like the guy. I thought he was good. But, um, it you know, it was just, it was meh. You know, it was, it was, it didn't have any energy, which is something that when you're watching Cruiserweight matches, you've come to expect. The Raw Tag Team title match was interesting. They teased Gallows and Anderson winning the belts off of Sheamus and Cesaro. Of course, that wasn't the case as Sheamus and Cesaro retained via DQ. Now, obviously, many people would like to see Gallows and Anderson get that opportunity, but I feel that there's more story that can be told with Sheamus and Cesaro. How far they're willing to go remains to be seen, but I feel that the whole, you know, villainous Sheamus and very, very fan-friendly Cesaro is is an interesting combination, and I think WWE's on to something. I felt that the tag match was really good. It actually showcased gallows and anderson correctly but at this point you got to have a couple of more matches between those guys it was hard hitting there were some great spots and a good way to showcase the abilities of both teams but again you know i feel that if you're trying to prime gallows and anderson for some sort of a title run you need to have sheamus and cesaro hold on to those belts a little longer just because there's there's a compelling story there simple as that the uh Tony Nese and Rich Swan match, of course, didn't get started because Adrian Neville came out and proceeded to try and unleash an ass whooping on Rich Swan, of course, continuing to build towards their match at the Rumble. The Titus O'Neil Big E, well, Titus O'Neil Big E match, which is part of Titus O'Neil's feud with the New Day, is just it's just very, very fucking tiresome. You know, I get it. <coughs> I get that Titus O'Neil, you know, you're trying to do something with him, but sacrificing a guy who has an, you know, just a tremendous presence is a great ambassador for your company in a, in a meaningless feud. It devalues the new day and it devalues Titus O'Neil. Not to say that these guys don't have a place to, to be involved with something, but I remember when Titus O'Neil went down to NXT and he was a fucking force down there and everybody's like, Oh shit, you know, Titus O'Neil is, is legit. And then back up to the main roster where you did nothing with him. You had the short lived feud with Darren young and then again, crickets, nothing. And I just feel that all the players in this quote-unquote feud are incredibly underutilized, but with the rumble around the corner, we should not be shocked. Cedric Alexander took on the Brian Kendrick, of course, the the continued story between Alicia Fox and Cedric Alexander continues. Um, again, a good match, but more of what of the same that we've seen every week. I really am not a fan of of Noam Dar being used um, and Alicia Fox being part of this whole thing. Why can't you just have regular feuds? I mean, the fact that the most the most regular feud right now is Davari and Jack Gallagher is is just hilarious to me. Just because there's so much you can do, you got so many cruiserweights, you got an hour of TV. Yes, I understand that Raw is the lead on the lead into 205 Live, but it just feels like Brian Kendrick. Neville and Arya Davari and I guess Noam Dar to a point are your quote unquote heels on 205 Live. But there, there, you know, Cedric Alexander has a great look, a great move set, and that's a guy that should be primed for some sort of championship opportunity instead of, you know, meaningless fucking feuds with Alicia Fox as the catalyst. I just feel again, it's a it's underutilizing a guy that you brought in who is a tremendous talent and above all, a tremendous athlete uh to close things out we had our six-man tag owens jericho and strowman taking on rollins reigns and Sami Zayn. 
Uh, I thought the match was pretty good. Again, continuing to really drive the point home of all the matches for the Rumble. Not a problem. I thought that was dope. Um, Matt, again, typical six man, just, um, you know, Braun Strowman being a complete animal and a savage, uh, you know, it was pretty much gift wrapping all the feuds in one, in one beautiful bow to close things out. Not terrible, but it's pretty much academic at this point. Now, a couple of things I did want to mention the whole Charlotte Bailey promo was, it was all right. I mean, you know, Charlotte definitely is an amazing heel. And she's done a great job. I think Bailey's mic work has improved. But at the end of the day, what really is going to carry this match is the wrestling more so than the mic work. Again, Charlotte is definitely head and shoulders above, you know, the other female talent in terms of just villainy and presentation. But Bailey, Bailey has a very unique niche. You know, she's beloved by all the children. She's a really, really lovable fan favorite and you want to spend more time showcasing that, you know, Charlotte coming out and, and making fun of Bailey. Yeah, I get it. You, you're driving the point home that Charlotte is the heel, but at, at, we, we kind of already know that it doesn't matter. We got an Emelina video package and no one cares at this point, whether she debuts next week, next month or next year, the ship has fucking sailed. I'm being honest. It really has. Um, I did want to obviously mention Kurt Angle's induction into the WWE Hall of Fame. It was um it was tremendous, you know? Uh it was it was a great video package and Kurt Angle definitely is a guy that is a bona fide Hall of Famer. That that goes without saying whether whether it was now, a year from now, two years from now, three years from now, one can never erase the fact that Kurt Angle is one of the best in the business and I'm definitely happy to see him go into the Hall of Fame plus Obviously, it opens up the door to Kurt Angle wrestling, which is not a bad thing considering the crop of talent that WWE has. I mean, if you look up TNA matches with Kurt Angle and AJ Styles, you'll get what I'm talking about. Tremendous. Kurt Angle, John Cena, there's genuine history there. You know, obviously, Amer- the guys from American Alpha, there's there's so much there. There's so much that Kurt Angle can bring to the table, and I'm really hoping that not only obviously the Hall of Fame induction, but if he does come back to active competition, that he goes to SmackDown. I think he has the star power to be a face in that brand and definitely carry that brand alongside John Cena, AJ Styles, and the rest of the blue brand. Like I said, you know, it's it's a it's an accolade that's well deserved. And, you know, I'm very excited to see the one and only Olympic gold medalist in the Hall of Fame for 2017. So definitely very, very fucking cool. Overall, like I said, Raw was pretty paint by numbers. A lot of hype, a lot of build up, uh, you know, a lot of angle advancement. I mean, you even had, you know, Nia Jax attacking Sasha Banks at the, uh, you know, during her medical assessment. Again, this is just all continued build up towards the Rumble, which again, I get it. You know, all, all, av- all, all roads lead to the Rumble, but it just, it just feels very flat. That's all I'm saying. Raw was, that's, that's the word for this week. Flat. Meanwhile, on the SmackDown side of things, we got to see some really dope wrestling. I liked the whole uh, opening announcement with AJ with AJ Styles and Shane McMahon talking about the Elimination Chamber. And I really liked the fact that The Miz came in, got involved, talked some shit, and got, we got ourselves a match between The Miz and AJ Styles. I think this is a great way to get The Miz in there. The Elimination Chamber is very interesting because it throws the SmackDown title picture in complete flux. I mean, even if, you know, even if somebody wins at the rumble, 
whether it's a Raw superstar or a SmackDown superstar, the fact remains that once the elimination is come, the elimination chamber has come and gone, we may have a new champion heading into WrestleMania that will not be John Cena or AJ Styles. So <clears throat> definitely something to be to be totally aware of going into WrestleMania season is the fact that the elimination chamber can change it all in the blink of an eye. So very, very intrigued with regards to that. Like I said, AJ Styles and the Miz's match was pretty solid. I definitely felt that the Miz once again continues to grow, evolve, and adapt and become a continued asset to the blue brand. I thought it was really good. The match between Dean Ambrose and Randy Orton, while it was for angle advancement's sake, there was there was some really good wrestling there. Obviously, the continued the the inner the inner turmoil in the Wyatt family is making for some compelling television. I don't know where it can go. I don't know if Luke Harper is going to turn on both of them. I don't know if Randy Orton is going to turn on both of them. And this has been his plan the whole time. Who knows? But it, it, it definitely has my attention. That's for sure. Now I gotta say, you know, the Nikki Bella Natalia thing. It's it, it's okay. I mean, the physicality is good. I feel we're seeing a lot more, you know, a lot more of that on SmackDown with the ladies, uh, especially with the main event, of course, being Alexa Bliss and uh, Becky Lynch for the SmackDown women's title. But Nikki's whole call out of Natalia was good. It was violent. It, it worked. You know, I thought that the uh, the King's Court segment with Dolph Ziggler was interesting. I knew that it was going to be leveraged to get Dolph Ziggler incredible heel heat. Uh, especially because it took place in, in Jerry Lawler's hometown of Memphis. Um, I get it. I get that they were trying to accomplish it, but it just felt, it felt not, not, not cheap. But again, just using a real world event for the sake of driving home a story. I mean, I get it. I get what you're trying to do with Dolph, but you could have done so much more with it. Like I said, it, it, it on paper, you would have thought, oh, this is going to be great. He's going to come out. He's going to attack Jerry Lawler in Memphis, but. Like using Jerry Lawler's heart attack, it just, you know, it was, it was ridiculous. I just, I just felt it was a very, it was a segment that on paper we could have thought was going to be really good, but it just came off really, really petty and shitty. That's, that's, that's my take on it. The SmackDown women's title cage match with Alexa Bliss and Becky Lynch was good. It could have been better, but I think it's also because while the feud is good, I feel that the wrestling of Alexa Bliss is still a work in progress versus Becky Lynch, which is further along. I mean, the biggest part of this obviously was the big reveal of La Luchadora, which turned out to be the one and only Mickey James. I thought, like I said, the match was okay. Given the participants, the overall, obviously big reveal of Mickey James being the, the, the woman under the mask was the bigger part of that. And that's fine. But, it's interesting because, you know, you bring back Mickey as a heel and she, you know, it creates a, a, another great character to have mix it up because we now have Alexa Bliss, Natalia and Mickey James. And it gives it gives Becky Lynch some fresh opponents. And I think, you know, uh, having an established uh, former women's champion like Mickey James is good for the blue brand. We shall see what happens. I think, um, you know, it, it shouldn't be bad, but. Who knows? We'll see. We'll see what the deal is. I was excited to see Mickey James back. I kind of knew that that was who it was going to be. I mean, you know, people were like Diona Perrazzo, Tamina, Summer Rae, etc. But something just told me it was going to be Mickey James. And, you know, my hunch, my hunch was right. I think, like I said, 
bringing her back at this point and, and just throwing her in the mix is going to make for some compelling television. And again, having Mickey James on SmackDown helps strengthen their women's division, which definitely has its fair share of veterans, but it also has its fair share of rookies whose wrestling is still a work in progress. Alexa Bliss, Carmella, you know, we're looking at you two ladies in particular. Overall, SmackDown definitely was the better show for this week. Now, with 205 Live, we had Drew Gulak, Cedric Alexander, which was solid, Tony Nese and Mustafa Ali, and of course, the I-Forfeit match with Jack Gallagher and Aria Davari. Um, I really like Drew Gulak. I felt that, um, you know, the, the Cedric Alexander, uh, the, the, the love story that, that everyone has with him is just getting more and more damaged each and every week. I like Gulak. He's great. I think that he's just a, um, you know, a really, really aggressive grinder. And it's good to have a guy like that there. But again, the specter of the fucking Alicia Fox feud just continues to ruin it. It really, really does. Uh, Mustafa Ali and Tony Nese. I really like Mustafa Ali. I feel that he's another guy that if you groom him right, he could be one of the premier faces in your organization. And I really feel that Tony Nese is another guy that can be a force, whether it's in the cruiserweight division or even in the mid card. The guy looks the part, has an incredible work ethic, and just can wrestle his ass off. I think um, they really worked well together and... You know, they killed, I felt that Mustafa Ali, you know, when he wrestled in Chicago, he was super over and they could have ran with that and they just didn't. And that's, that's really, really unfortunate. You know, we, we, we saw a, a video teasing the, the arrival of Akira Tozawa. That's a guy that again, much like, uh, Mustafa Ali, much like Cedric Alexander, these guys had breakout performances during the Cruiserweight Classic and WWE would be would be wise to take advantage of that popularity and really push these guys as the premier stars on that program. But again, not the case. I feel that the booking actually is very disjointed from week to week when it comes to uh, 205 Live. Now, Jack Gallagher and Aria Davari's uh, forfeit match, it, w- it was good, but it again, it could have been better. Um, you know, Davari, Davari definitely has become one of the premier heels for 205 Live. I've said this before, but it just it's tough because when you have a guy like Jack Gallagher who not only looks the part which the crowd is into, but he's just such a such a great all-around wrestler, it 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 definitely felt disjointed at times and um you know, I felt that it wasn't it wasn't as intense as we as we thought it was going to be. I mean, Davari's attacks leading up to this match were more intense, more vicious. And this match really didn't, it didn't have that, that real animosity that we've come to expect from Davari and Gallagher's feud thus far. I mean, every time Davari whoops Jack Gallagher's ass, there's disgust, there's intensity. And when you're doing this type of an I quit match, you would have thought that we would have seen a lot more of that viciousness. But alas, something that could have been so perfectly executed, they kind of dropped the ball on, which is a shame, but Overall, it was it was a decent showing for 205 Live. I continue to stand by my assessment that 205 Live should be at the NXT arena and not taped during Raw or SmackDown because I feel that the large crowds actually take away from these matches instead of adding to them. All right, let's switch gears and jump into this week's wrestling uh, wrestling news, which there, there's definitely some interesting stuff I want to get into. 
I want to start with Jimmy Superfly Snooker's passing, which again, it's unfortunate. My our condolences go out to his family. But an interesting conversation came out in our in our RageWorks Facebook group, and it was about the fact that you know WWE showing this video package. You know, you're playing the hero music and all this stuff, but you're not. You have to be aware of the fact that this guy was on trial for murder. And even though he was cleared, it was always the specter of did he or didn't he do it? A lot of people felt that he did commit the crime, but because he was, uh, you know, he, he was battling dementia, I believe, and also dealing with some serious health problems. They felt that he was not medically fit to stand trial, whether that played a factor or not remains to be seen. And I'm not here to, to play, you know, legal, 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 or, um, you know, talk about the the right and wrong of the law. I, I'm going to look at this from a perspective of you have a guy who was a tremendous wrestler who committed, who may have committed, let me be, let me be fair, who may have committed a terrible crime. Now, as someone who I've said this before, I'm a big fan of Chris Benoit, and I've separated Benoit the athlete from Benoit, the guy who killed his family. And I will always appreciate Chris Benoit's work ethic and what he brought to the table. But what he did was disgusting and vile and heinous. And it's it's just terrible. You know, the same thing could be said for OJ Simpson. OJ Simpson, the football player, was an amazing football player. That doesn't that doesn't devalue the fact that he may have, you know, and I'll be honest, may have killed his wife and Ron Goldman. I mean, even though a judge and jury found him innocent, it's we are more and more inclined now in 2017 to to feel that OJ did commit that crime. Now, with regards to Jimmy Superfly Snooker, there was a lot of questions. You know, obviously the length of time from when the crime occurred, uh, everything, you know, his his deteriorating physical condition was a big factor. But at the end of the day, the only people that know what really happened are the people that were there and Jimmy Superfly Snooker. And again, I value what Jimmy Superfly Snooker contributed to the world of professional wrestling. And for me as a fan, so many great memories, so many awesome matches. I'll never, ever, 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 you know, speak ill of, of Jimmy Superfly Snooker, the wrestler. But I also got to acknowledge the fact that the guy may have killed somebody. And we have to be aware of these things. It's no different than when people talk about Ray Lewis. It's it's no different than than when anybody talks about any of these guys. The fact is that, yes, their athletic accomplishments should not be ignored, but they may have committed some fucking heinous crimes. It doesn't get any easier than that. And that's where, as some, like I, like I said, you know, I separate. I respect Jimmy Superfly Snook. I'm a fan of his work, but he may have committed a crime and we, we have to, we have to acknowledge that. And I think that, you know, WWE would have, was damned if they did or damned if they didn't. If they would have just acknowledged this passing real quick, it would have been fine, but they went into how he was a hero and all this stuff. And again, you know, that's great. But for, for the family of the young lady who was killed, that's not the case. And again, you know, there, there's a lot, there's a lot there. There's a lot of layers and I'm not going to go into this whole personal belief system because at the end of the day, like I said, I've separated the athlete from the individual, but some people don't. And, but I got to say, you can't, you can't dismiss that stuff. You really can't. You can't just look at it from a one-sided point of view. Uh, Jimmy Superfly Snooker was amazing. Hell, I had his toys when I was a kid. I thought he was awesome, but he may have committed a truly heinous crime that we'll never know. Gotta acknowledge it. 
Simple as that. As I said, the um, the Elimination Chamber was announced on SmackDown. That's going down February 12th. It is going to be a SmackDown-only event. And um, definitely one to keep an eye on, like I said. Now, we talked about Raw SmackDown. There's definitely a lot of TNA stuff this week. Uh, the first thing is that if you've been watching as of late, a lot of the TNA stuff is starting to pretty much be removed from a lot of Impact Wrestling's um, you know, a, a presence, whether it's it's Twitter, Facebook, etc., they're really driving home the Impact Wrestling brand under the Anthem umbrella. Now, one of the things that stuck out to me recently was uh, Aaron Rex, formerly known as Damian Sandow's new Liberace gimmick. Not sure how I feel about it. I get it. I get that there's, you know, a little bit of Adrian Adonis in there. It's it's flamboyant. It's weird. It's 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 uh, it's interesting. But I don't know, man. It kind of feels. Again, just like something a little too old school in a new school environment. I mean, you know, Dalton Castle in Ring of Honor has done an amazing job with his gimmick. And he's so entertaining, but the gimmick isn't a distraction. The gimmick is just part of the character, and the wrestling is what stands out for Dalton Castle. In Aaron Rex's case, formerly Damian Sandow, the gimmick just stood out. And, you know, you got Rockstar Spud dressed like a fucking bellhop. I don't know how I feel about it. I don't hate it. I don't love it. I just find it to be very, very, very weird. That's for damn sure. Now, the next bit of news I want to talk about is interesting because it, it's going to create some interesting conversation, and it involves pro wrestling in Australia. Pro, wow, what a botch. Pro Wrestling Illustrated's 44th Annual Achievement Awards. Uh, AJ Styles won the Wrestler of the Year honor. He received 51% of the vote. He was also given the match of the year honor for his SummerSlam match against John Cena. Um, his matches against Ambrose, Reigns, Chris Jericho, and Shinsuke Nakamura also, um, they also got first place votes. Um, you know, those matches were spectacular in, in their, in their own right, but AJ Styles definitely earned that honor. Other achievement awards that were handed out were Nia Jax for rookie of the year, Bailey, uh, the Miz won Most Improved. Goldberg won for Comeback. Charlotte won for Women's Wrestler. Charlotte versus Sasha Banks won for Feud of the Year. Shinsuke Nakamura won for Most Popular. The New Day won for Tag Team. And this one, very interesting, Roman Reigns won the Most Hated Wrestler of the Year for 2016. And man, <coughs> what a what a crazy story that is. Uh, you know, Roman Reigns, I, I give Roman Reigns a lot of flack. You know, he's not the best wrestler. He's consistent and he's solid. Don't misunderstand. He's a solid wrestler. But, you know, part of the reason that Roman Reigns is in this situation isn't Roman Reigns' fault. And I've talked about this. It's management. It's creative. It's the desire to create this brand new rock-like entity that will take WWE to the next level instead of just letting the the wrestlers grow organically and letting the fans choose who the next guy is, Vince McMahon force feeds it down everyone's throat. Don't misunderstand. There's a right and a wrong way to do that. And I felt that Roman Reigns' ascension was so blatant and it disregarded so many other performers that it just turned fans against him. But I also got to say that he's all, he's he's also approaching the John Cena boo you know it's trendy to boo the guy territory which is unfortunate because in roman reigns's case it's becoming more 
that people just genuinely don't like the character and not the whole trendy to boo scenario. People try to paint it that way, but a lot of people just boo him because they genuinely just don't like the character. And it's unfortunate because the guy didn't ask to be put in that predicament or in that situation. He just took the ball and ran with it. Roman Reigns, like I said, solid performer. Do I feel he deserves the the accolade of being most hated? It's it's debatable. I mean, every time the guy goes out there, whether it's in front of a televised crowd, a pay-per-view crowd, he gets booed out of the fucking building. And the fact of the matter is that it's unfortunate. It really is. I, I think Roman Reigns has tremendous upside, but I feel that it's an upside that should be leveraged organically and not something that should be forced on the masses. That's for sure. But it is what it is, ladies and gentlemen. But it is incredibly interesting that that is an accolade that Roman Wayne, that Roman, ugh, Roman Reigns won. Man, craziness. ESPN's 30 for 30 for the XFL debuts February 2nd. So make sure to mark that down on your calendars. As I mentioned earlier in the segment, Kurt Angle is your next WWE Hall of Fame inductee. Um, Rumors continue to be, you know, floating around the web that Diamond Dallas Page and Rick Rude are also on that list and possibly even Beth Phoenix. Uh, very, very interesting to see if that is truly the case. Uh, Beth Phoenix was a big part of the Divas division during the 2000s and, you know, the, the mid to late 2000s and into the early 2010s. Uh, she's got one Divas title reign, three women, women's, ugh, three women's championship title reigns under her belt, uh, an incredible performer, a physical presence in the ring. Um, she retired in 2012, currently married to Edge. Yes, that Edge from Edge and Christian. And she has two daughters. I think Beth Phoenix brought, um, you know, glamour, prestige, and genuine strength to the Divas division and the women's division as a whole, uh, filling a void left by, you know, China at the time. I felt Beth Phoenix really embodied that strong powerhouse presence she looked apart, she wrestled very well, and she definitely was a big part of that Divas title, Women's Championship era, you know, mixing it up with Melina, Lay Cool. It was an interesting time because it was a transition from, you know, the the, the attitude, bra and panties matches to genuine, uh, real women's wrestling. It was, it was in its infancy at the time, but she was definitely a part of it. Uh, we'll see if that truly is the case in the coming weeks as more and more Hall of Fame inductees get announced. Last bit of wrestling news to wrap things up. Kevin Nash has stated that he will be donating his brain and spinal cord to CTE Research. Uh, he said, um, Chris Nowinski started the program, and I've had several concu- concussions throughout my life and had scans done and stuff and knew that somewhere down the line, I've already had, short war- um, I've had short-term memory problems, and I decided to go ahead and do it. The only way you can diagnose this is after you're dead. I think that, and I've talked about this before, concussions have become a really, really big thing, and the side effects and ramifications continue to just become a very, very big topic of conversation, especially in pro wrestling, so it's cool to see that Kevin Nash is going to be part of it. All right, that is going to wrap up the wrestling news for this week, and it's going to wrap up this week's MMA and wrestling edition of my take radio. As always, you can find my take radio on rageworks.net. And if you want to follow us on social media, we have a presence on Facebook, Twitter, Google plus Pinterest, Instagram, 
the usual outlets. You can look up Rageworks for my take radio specifically. We are on Twitter at my take radio. So I've given you guys my take on MMA and wrestling. As always, I'd love to hear yours. Feel free to reach out via the social media accounts I just mentioned. And if you want to have a little bit more of a detailed discussion, you can join our Rageworks group on Facebook. Just look us up on Facebook, just Rageworks, and you should find our group and our fan page. All right. As a reminder, um, right now, we are probably going to be releasing the MMA and wrestling editions of My Take Radio overnight between Wednesday and Thursday. So by Thursday morning, you more than likely will be seeing this in your iTunes, Stitcher, or TuneIn Radio feeds. And as for the gaming and entertainment edition, we're probably going to be releasing that overnight between Thursday and Friday morning, Thursday night, Friday morning. So that is going to be the schedule going forward. So by Thursday afternoon, it should already be in your feed. Same thing for the gaming and entertainment edition. So we will be recording MMA and wrestling Wednesdays with a, with an, with a Thursday morning release and the gaming and entertainment editions will be recording on Fridays. Uh, Thursdays, excuse me, with a Friday morning release schedule. That is the plan thus far. As always, if you have any thoughts, questions, concerns, or would like to be a guest on a future episode of My Take Radio, whether it's the MMA and Wrestling Edition or the Gaming and Entertainment Edition, drop me a line, rich at mytakeradio.com or rich at rageworks.net, whichever you prefer, or you can also use the contact form on Rageworks. All right, guys, thank you guys for checking out this MMA and wrestling edition of My Take Radio. Got to get acclimated to doing podcast recordings instead of the live shows. I'm hoping you guys enjoy it, and as always, feedback is appreciated. Once again, thank you guys for hitting download and checking out this podcast version of My Take Radio. See you later, guys. Thanks for listening. 